So one of the things that we're always asked is to get stuck into some growing info. Mm -hmm. So for this week and next, we're going to look into the nitty gritties of setting up a market garden. Now, if you've ever thought this might be a career or business choice for you, then hopefully this podcast will shed some light on lots of the questions and considerations you need to take in right at the start. Yeah. So this... I learned a lot in this, did you? I actually learned quite a lot too. I mean, I didn't realise there was so much, but of course there is because starting a market garden is a huge undertaking. Like, And we went right to the top. We asked a total expert to help us with this one. We did. We did, we did, we did. So who better to get down, get your fingernails dirty with GIY's head grower, Richard Mee. And he's based at Grow HQ in Waterford City. And, you know, if you're looking for anything grow related, then really look no further than GIY. And if you haven't heard of GIY, they are an amazing organization teaching the country to grow it yourself. G-I-Y. I want to go to the G-I-Y. So Richard is an expert in biodiversity and horticulture. And believe it or not, he started growing at about three years of age with his dad. And since then has accumulated somewhere close to 40 years of growing experience. He studied a BSc in horticulture at Reading and an MSc in organic farming at the Scottish Agricultural College. In addition to the UK and Ireland, Richard also has experience growing veg all over the world, including Central America and Africa. Yeah, and we talk about the type of research that you need to do before you set up a market garden. So the size and the location of the land. We explore sowing, growing and harvesting. And this includes crop planning, production, soil preparation, sourcing your seeds, planting your crops and the type of equipment that you might need. We also look at the type of maintenance you can expect during the year and finally harvesting and storing your produce. Yeah, and of course we kind of looked into it because bear in mind, a market garden by definition is a kind of it's a financial it's an economic it's mm. a, the idea here is that we're not just growing a little veg patch in the back garden this is about trying to grow a surplus that we can then sell even if it's just to friends and family mm-hmm. so we looked at the final financial considerations we got richard's tips for selling your produce mm-hmm. and what type of investment you'd need to consider in terms of starting off with time resources and equipment So what kind of ongoing financial costs should you expect? And ultimately, is it worth it financially to grow vegetables? And how much money can you make? Yeah. And growing really is far more than that financial reward. And Richard, he's clearly passionate about this. And I think let's just get stuck into this interview. But grab a notebook because there's lots to learn here. Hello, uh, I'm Richard Mee, the head grower from GIY. Um, GIY... Some of you will probably know, but it's uh, an organization to encourage people to grow it yourself. Uh, that's what mm. the actual stand for. And um, I run the, what is effectively a market garden there, which supplies the kitchen uh, with organic okay. veg. Um, and uh, also do things like today, a little bit of training and teaching, which uh, is pretty much what I was doing on a self-employed basis before I went to GIY and then mm. I was running my own uh, intensive salad and um, edible flower and leaf uh, business uh, and also doing teaching. I, I was teaching on a, a level five program, which is basically uh, allowing people to develop the skills to set up their own market gardens. So, uh, that, that's okay. my In terms of growing, I've been growing um, since I was three or four with my dad. Um, which oh, it was about 20 years ago. Uh, so, uh, 
I'm so so bo- born and grown into the market yeah. garden, says you. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. What what exactly is a market garden? Could you define what that is? Well, um, it's a garden for which you market things from, essentially. Um, huh. So that could be a whole range of different things. Um, it could be a small self-sufficient garden, which you're selling surplus from. Uh, mm-hmm. Or it could be uh, one intensive tunnel. Uh, you okay. know, um, it's it merely means growing things uh, for sale, essentially. Yeah. And there's so many different models you could have of that. Uh, for instance, our tunnels at uh, GIY, um, they're about 60 square meters. Mm-hmm. And they turn over between tomatoes and winter salads. Between three and four thousand euros a year. Um, okay. So, uh, I mean, that could be a little business for somebody. Uh, I, I knew yeah. somebody who was actually an accountant, and um, apparently June, July is not a very busy time for accountants. Not that I know, uh, but uh, <laughs> they um, they had a small uh, strawberry production uh, unit and about quartering okay. or less actually in terms of plants, and they spent the. Uh, sort of June, July, outside harvesting strawberries and selling them on the market. And then okay. back to the computer screen again in August. So uh, lots of different models uh, you can uh, you can have, but it's about selling things from your garden. Okay. Okay. Yeah. As, op- as opposed to just uh, for yourself and a couple of yeah. vegetables and, and what have you. That That's interesting about the um, the accountant and that balance between computer work and, and literally being out in the garden. What other type of people actually set up market gardens. You probably have a bit of experience with this from your educational background. Um, at the risk of sounding silly, people are interested in growing things, you know, which there's no <laughs> definite background. Um, fair, fair. <laughs> I mean, for instance, uh, I would have some stock farmers who were thinking of plowing an acre up uh, in the recession. Uh, there were construction workers who had obviously the ability to work hard outside. Uh, yeah. who suddenly lost their jobs uh, and yeah. were busy, vigorous people. Again, unemployed office uh, people at the time. Uh, so there's no particular model at all. Um, I, I really wouldn't go further and say people are interested in growing something yeah. to sell, really, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. And R- Fair Richard, enough. you mentioned about the accountant and the strawberries. What way do you think people then settle on what it is that they're going to grow? Do you think that they've trialed a few bits and pieces and they kind um, of fall in love with strawberries, for example? I, I have no idea how that person started, actually. I just know it professionally rather than as a friend. Uh, but... Um, People normally develop basic skills, <laughs> sorry, uh, from growing a little bit or something mm-hmm. and go from there. Uh, I would uh, have thought the the best way to do it is to audit your own skills um, yeah. and uh, then get some sort of feel and dabble in it a little bit, I would suggest, before mm-hmm. you move. Um, for instance, uh, you might be somebody who likes uh, heavy duty physical work. You want something that gives you exercise, so you might decide to grow a small amount of outdoor veg. Mm. Uh, or you might like fiddling with um, uh, on a potting bench, and you might produce a load of plants for sale on markets, you know, with transplants yeah. and so on yeah. early in the yeah. season. Um, auditing yourself is a critical thing. Uh, do mm. you want to have a short burst of work with something very defined? Or do you want to have something which is 10, 12 months a year? Uh, so you have a really good feel for what you're after. Uh, if you're yeah. after 
a relaxed time without much work than take up golf, you know. Um, <laughs> Solid advice, Richard. I love it. <laughs> well, per- perhaps that's something that we could kind of like focus in on that conversation. Like imagine if we are starting one from from scratch, like literally from from the ground up. Where where would you start and what kind of things would you need to consider? Like, I mean, what kind of research should I do, for example, in terms of preparation? Um, if you don't have gardening skills, you know, because mm. if you're an amateur gardener, then you've got a massive head start. You, yeah. you know what you can do and you know how to do things critically. Mm. If you don't, then get a little bit of experience growing uh, to see if it's for you. But okay. if you're at the stage where you think, yes, it's definitely something I want to do, a fair yeah. bit of research is a good idea um, yeah. and possible sources of uh, information, possibly the most useful of all is talking to growers. Uh, there's mm. various farm walks organized. If you're looking to be an organic grower, then the organic uh, section of Department of Agriculture have farm walks through the summer uh, when you can go and really look at what people are doing. Mm. Uh, in terms of basic growing information and resources, our own GIY website has mm. uh, various tutorials, uh, videos, uh, printed material, and we run some courses, you know, basic growing mm. courses to get you started yeah. on that. Yeah. Um, and Chagasco are a superb um, source of fairly dry but good information on what to grow where in Ireland. In terms of starting okay. with land, um, yeah. Don't try and start on poor soil unless okay. you're going to do something in a polytunnel uh, where you're just growing on a bench. Like, you know, I mentioned mm-hmm. you could grow um, plants for sale. You could grow veg, uh, veg plants and so on and sell them. Um, uh, but if you're looking to grow in the soil, make sure it's good soil. In fact, what is any site you're looking at, uh, and it's, I would say, the three S's. You've got uh, soil, sun, and shelter. Is it mm-hmm. shaded? This is in terms of the land that you're looking for now. Yes. Or the, the site yeah, you're space, looking yeah. for. Um, if it's overshadowed by tall trees and you don't get any sun, you won't grow anything. If mm-hmm. it's a, a beautiful exposed site on a cliff top, uh, forget it. You know, <laughs> a lot of sites mm-hmm. are very windy in Ireland and tunnels move across fields in those situations, unfortunately, at gales. Yeah. You know. We yeah. also for damage yeah. to the tunnels. It's a windy place. And, Unfortunately, with the climate emergency, it's getting windier. So look for some shelter uh, okay. and the soil. Um, always go with a spade um, if you're looking at a site or whatever and have a dig. Right. And if, uh, if it's pretty miserable, don't bother. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> and what about space? Like, I mean, I, I guess talking to growers that we have been on this podcast over the last few months, we've realized how productive a small plot of land could be. What's your... Um, thoughts on the consideration of space that we should uh, Oh, very much so. In fact, I, I think you're either going intensive or you're getting mm. five acres uh, in a way. Okay. If, you, if you want to grow uh, mechanized field crops, um, you know, things like carrots, parsnips, potatoes, uh, there, there's huge economies of scale and uh, to compete with people, you need machinery. So that is possibly outside the discussion today, unless it's yeah. You know, we're stock farmers with machinery uh, listening. They they could think of plowing up land. Um, mm. And I know an ex-dairy farmer who um, had uh, the machinery for laying uh, plastic and so on for maize for fodder mm. production. And he, could, uh, he started doing that to produce sweet corn. So he already had okay. the uh, machinery and, and you know, uh, everything he needed. 
So that's one, that's one special niche of people, I suppose, have land looking to make it more productive. But mm. in terms of regular common or garden, uh, back garden people, um, you can do a hell of a lot on a quarter acre. Yeah. As long as you pick yeah. the right crops in that, um, you're not talking about field crops. You're not talking about say carrots, parsnips and things. You're talking about intensive crops. And like what? Well, uh, tunnels, uh, in tunnels, you could, you should turn over the value of a tunnel, the cost of a tunnel every year. Okay. And in our tunnels, in a GIY of, um, about 60 square meters. I didn't mention this earlier. I can't remember. Uh, we, we turn mm-hmm. over, uh, about three or 4,000 a year with salads okay. and tomatoes and so on. Uh, so, um, my salad business in tunnels, uh, it's, um, I suppose in total about a 10th of an acre of tunnels mm. and that would happily turn over 10 to 15,000 a year as a part-time enterprise, uh, field veg, you know, that you'd be turning that out, that would need an acre or two to turn that over. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, you know, it's, uh, you can go very intensively, um, and have, a, have a good turnover, mm. uh, if you're prepared to invest in tunnels and, uh, or something like strawberries or other soft fruit. Herbs, okay. uh, outdoors, you can turn over quite a lot in a small area, managing things intensely. Yeah, um, okay, that's interesting. And we're talking about market garden, the difference between a market garden and your back garden is that there is a, a commercial aspect to it. Where does a market garden-er um, sell what they make? So where are the different kind of lines, the avenues that, that, that people seem to right. go down? I think this is possibly one of the most important starting points, really. Uh, there's a mm. whole range of different markets. Um, supermarkets are where, uh, larger people sell and they're largely out for, I think for smaller people starting off, although sometimes local super values can allow an arrangement for things like fresh herbs or salads to go in. Mm. So that's possible with local management, but the big ones, mm-hmm. no, unless you want to tool up on a large scale, uh, farmers markets, uh, mm. are a potential source, but, uh, if you're going in with a vegetable stall. Uh, then that is a very big undertaking and that you need to grow a large range of crops and all my stuff in. So you mm-hmm. might want a special niche, like, uh, go in with, um, summer salads or, or mm. you know, a range of, uh, tunnel grown tomatoes, uh, cucumbers or whatever. Uh, but you, to, to have 10, 12 months supply is quite a big undertaking. So that's not mm. something I'd necessarily consider. Then you have the. The various small scale markets, um, many years ago, I used to sell on the, um, ICA market, um, oh, yeah. in South Dublin, uh, that was very handy because you were bulking it with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you didn't have your own stool. So critically you could take in whatever surplus you've got. If you got one bag of beans or one bag of raspberries, punnet of raspberries, you could take them in and they went with everybody else. And so. There's a range of different markets operating on that sort of basis where you take stuff mm-hmm. in and it's sold collectively. That's definitely a good option for people. Uh, local restaurants is a big one. Um, mm. that, w- that is the outlet I found most lucrative. I went from, um, having a broad range of different number of years ago, bro- outlets to nothing, uh, but speciality crops to restaurants. I found that was yeah. the best profit margin and I didn't spend very much time selling. Yeah. yeah. Talk to yeah. me. 
uh, you got the order uh, emailed or phoned in, uh, you dropped them off, um, said hi, and that was it once or twice a week. Mm. Uh, so you weren't spending a lot of time standing behind a stool or something. I found that really good. Um, and it's very rewarding to develop a, a good relationship with a chef, which is essentially what I'm paid for now um, mm. uh, with, in GIY. Uh, and they will ask for unusual or weird things. If you've got the skill as a grower, you can grow them. Um, That's yeah. exciting um, too, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. For um, both parties. You, yeah. And it, uh, for instance, uh, a big seller for me was things like nasturtium flowers and so on. Mm. Uh, you know, they... Uh, edible flowers, real speciality niche stuff like that. Often the profit margins are high. Mm-hmm. Um, and the small person can have a massive, um, advantage in terms of freshness. Uh, the stuff I was harvesting, you need an alarm clock here. Uh, you get up at first light on the summer mm-hmm. morning and you have them in the restaurant, uh, cold room by nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you don't need a cooler because you're harvesting them cold and they go, you know, and they will last a very long time compared mm-hmm. with stuff that's gone halfway around the country or been flown in from the Netherlands or somewhere. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. that's another option for you. Um, and, uh, gate sales, local sales. I mean, that's a traditional thing to do. That's always possible. And local shops, they can often be quite friendly to allow you to sell a little bit of stuff. Yeah, so it does feel like when we chat to people, it's, it's it's a little bit of everything. But as as you said, the partnering up with the chef seems to be the bo- the most uh, consistent, lucrative, but then also um, the most interesting because you kind of they 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 stick with you through the seasons. They'll actually ask you to plant different things, and they'll kind of enjoy following your season, and their menu will kind of reflect yes. um, on that as well. And um, a question, a little bit uh, on a on a slightly different point. I've also heard from people that. Getting your soil tested is a great idea. Would you recommend doing something like that? Very much so. And that's quite a, you know, that's a topic for um, a podcast. <laughs> right. But it's actually my, my sort of uh, more academic interest is soil. So it better okay. not get me started on that. But uh, no, uh, the, the soil is essential, obviously. Uh, if you have a tunnel, then you can work the soil more intensively. Uh, but yes, a soil test and don't bother with one of the home testing kits. I used to do an exercise with students. So, uh, comparing a home testing kit, a very good quality one that costs over a mm. hundred euros, uh, we're sending it off uh, for analysis with a commercial lab and, and uh, the results from the home one were all over the place, you know, really? um, okay. so send it off. It only costs, uh, 25 euros, that sort of, uh, amount for right. a, a sample. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure the Department of Agriculture will still have a list of labs they recommend, uh, you know, that are okay. uh, um, yeah. properly run labs. I, I've used the same couple of labs for years, so um, but mm. I find reliable. To, I'd probably better not give them a plug in that I don't know whether I can say these things. But, oh, uh, but say them. I think that would be very interesting for people. Okay, well, I like, use yeah, uh, the yeah. one I use consistently and found them good is uh, FBA Laboratories in Capricorn. Uh, okay. But um, yeah. there's plenty of others as well. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I found that's consistent. And I yeah. actually, I won't mention the other lab, but I did a double blind test once of sending uh, four versions of the same sample to two different labs. Oh, okay. interesting. And okay, good. Uh, one of the labs, which wasn't FBA, got one of the samples ridiculous. Yeah, so uh, right. okay. that's my own. Uh, so I just, I, I, they're reliable. Anyway, yeah, send it off. And I would have um, a... Um, 
phosphorus, potassium, and pH analysis done, and mm. a, um, a, a trace element uh, one, which is a okay. 25 euro test. Uh, mm. If you are taking a soil test, it's a sampling thing. So you go up and down your field or your, mm. your garden, uh, yeah. take maybe uh, into a bucket, take 20 different samples, mix it all up well, and then put a coffee okay. cup worth of that in a, um, in a plastic bag and send it off. Okay. Okay. Um, so what I was saying was uh, about the, 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 the testing of the soil is that you and your neighbor right next to each other, you can have an incredible crop of courgettes while your neighbor's courgettes never took off. So your own soil can vary quite dramatically um, side by side. Yes, it seems to be a bit of a peculiarity of Ireland that, that you have many different yeah. soil types in a small area. I don't know the yeah. geological reason for it, but yes, uh, even on my um, land at home, um, it's it was one field before I bought it, but uh, the uh, there's a barrier down the middle uh, where you suddenly go into poor quality, badly drained, heavy really? duty clay from a, a, a nice arable brown soil. So even on one piece of land, um, they can vary, but uh, in a small area and certainly in a tunnel, you can improve the soil, uh, you know, by hard work, mm -hmm. um, which we've done, uh, site in GIY, which wasn't naturally good soil for various reasons, mm. a lot of building rubble and so on in it, but we've mm. broken it all up and critically you improve the soil by getting organic matter into it, you know, so yes. that's. Uh, compost, manure, uh, and green manures, and you can improve a soil quite rapidly. Mm. Fantastic. And do you know those different um, elements there that you mentioned, the nitrogen, the phosphorus, what were they again? N, P, and K? What do they stand for? Nitrogen, um, phosphorus, and potassium. Okay. So you can't wash... actually test for nitrogen usefully in soil, or you just test for phosphorus okay. and potassium. Okay, okay. So what type of plants should I... Um, what type of plants should I grow depending on what kind of results that I get in that? If what I had, for example, had a lot uh, of phosphorus in the, in the soil, for example, what should I be growing um, A market gardener doesn't really accept that as a limitation. Okay. Uh, that's if, um, if you're growing, I don't know, forestry or something, then clearly you do. Uh, but it's more what you need to add to compensate okay. for it is what you're testing for. So okay. uh, a market gardener will get the soil in the right condition to grow anything they want by okay. adding the right amount of uh, organic matter and and as well uh, the nutrients that the soil needs. Okay. On the line. So what's the optimum soil condition that one would look for? Uh, well, the optimum would be in some old world gardens I've been involved in uh, renovating uh, from the past, which is they have, well, actually usually slightly to alkaline, but Ideally, you have a pH slightly acidic, which is 6.5. That's perfect. And you have soil, which is black, like potting compost, because the amount of yeah. organic matter added over the years. Um, and you have, being a little bit technical here, but um, you would have a, an index for phosphorus and potassium of four. Um, okay. And then really, apart from uh, adding nitrogen, uh, making well, make sure nitrogen is added to the soil every year, uh, you just keep growing things. Um, okay. that is why all gardeners want to get their hands on an old wall garden. They, they, uh, yeah. for generations, uh, they've been, have had the right sort of inputs. There's also, so there's an Irish word for it. And as, as somebody who was reading England, I can't remember what the word is 
for the type of soil. I've seen it in the West, um, where over the years people have um, been bringing seaweed and uh, yes. you know farmyard manure over generations, mm. and you can have this rich black soil which bears no relation to the soil in the field next door. Okay, and, uh, and it's like potting compost. There is an Irish word for it. Some older people in the West told me, and I've forgotten. Yeah, we'll have to do uh, a bit of research on that one then. Anything yeah. on that soil, I suppose, touch of the, the play the field there, isn't there really? But yeah, the uh, soil, it's, that's where you want to get your hands on if you can find it, that yeah. that improved black soil. It, brilliant. And in terms of the crops then that I'm going to plant, like where should I get my seeds, for example? Where where should I get right. the wrong um, That has here. suddenly um, become more difficult with the idiocy of Brexit. Um uh, I used to get um, my seeds from a couple of English companies. I, I we're organic, uh, GIY. I used to get organic seeds from a couple of companies there. That's no longer possible. Mm. Uh, so um, for uh, small numbers of seeds, um, I'd really make recommend Ireland's only uh, seed producer, organic or otherwise, actually brown mm. envelope seeds, mm. uh, who. Um, uh, are very reliable and, and quite good value for small quantities mm -hmm. of seed. I use them for more speciality things. Mm -hmm. um, that's brown envelope seeds in, in West Cork. And, uh, I mean, uh, we sell seeds um, mm -hmm. imported from the Netherlands, I think, or Germany. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure where they come from, actually, but GIY. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also uh, import some seeds uh, via an agent from the Netherlands for larger quantities. So okay. depending what you're doing, uh, that's a company called Europrise, but that's that really is for bigger market garden people in terms of you know you buy large quantities that's organic. Yeah. So uh, um, yeah, the being able to buy medium sized quantities from the UK, which was the the backbone of small scale grow, growing in Ireland, mm. is now no longer possible. Mm. Uh, so it's a little bit more fiddly than it was. Yeah, I suppose in terms of equipment. What kind of um, what kind of things would people need to invest in or have to hand in order to have a productive market garden? Uh, you um, you ideally need to have some capital involved. Uh, that okay. can be a tunnel, yeah, uh, which you know increases the productivity of an area of land massively, uh, mm. or um, a rotivator. I think really sort of you have all both. Yeah, I had, I had both. Um, it's a very good idea if you've got a, a small field type market garden you're setting up, you know, behind your house to get somebody into plow it to begin with. Uh, because okay. once set up, you might, it might be very difficult. The large tractors we have around where I live, uh, can't come into something once you've got a few tunnels up or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And they, um, uh, but having plowed to begin with is a great start. Uh, but, uh, for the small scale person, uh, rotivator will normally be so, you know, enough for soil cultivation. If you're going for, uh, fruit production, like strawberries or, or other soft mm. fruits, then all you need your capital in investing is plants. And, mm. um, you know, you're, uh, you're in, investing in the plants. Mm. Uh, and then on a slightly larger scale, uh, mm. you're looking at the horticultural tractors. Okay. Um, and actually, company in Waterford, uh, we're having a little look at at the moment. Secondhand, I think they're probably imported from Japan, mm. actually. But okay. uh, in, you know, Kubota's that sort of thing. The smaller tractors, you can get a range of implements. 
and seed uh, things like seed drills. If you if you're moving onto the sort of acre scale, they can be very handy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Into row hose, that sort of thing. Um, if you're moving onto slightly more uh, field scale type operations. Mm-hmm. What about um, the no dig market uh, or garden principles? Well, that's, they don't uh, need much. Um, equipment really for that do they or are kind of road vaging or plowing up the land and um no dig is certainly where you should be going to with quality Mm. soil uh you know what we're um we're trying to move to at uh uh, giy uh but from a starting point of quite poor quality soil so we're very much still cultivating now but much less than we were uh, a rotivator is still very handy on a market garden basis to be able to nip through something to make a mm. good seed bed. Though something you sparingly because it will damage soil. But the whole point about having a lovely managed black organic matter rich soil is that you can abuse it a little bit. You can actually yeah. rotivate it and not do it much harm. Now, a heavy clay soil, you rotivate when it's wet, and you'll pay mm. for that for a year or two. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's certainly where you should be moving to. But unless you're very lucky to have one of the black soils I've just mentioned, um, mm. when you first move on to it, that isn't really an option to begin with. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. And in terms of uh, ongoing maintenance during the year, what what could one expect? Well, that's, I think, vitally important to audit yourself and audit the business. Do a little bit mm. of thinking. Um, so it purely depends on the enterprise you're going into. Okay. And one uh, one thing I've noticed with people who didn't grow up with growing like I did, mm. uh, I mean, I don't expect to have time off in the summer. It's just right. in my head. You don't. Yeah, um, yeah. I take, well, now I'm not self-employed anymore. I have annual leave, which is an interesting concept. And I take that one. <laughs> I take that around Christmas. It would, You're almost not programmed for it, Richard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'd rather be growing than anything else, actually. Yeah. But um, yeah. I... Uh, I I think I am one of those people who never works a day in their life, really, because they love growing yeah. so much. But yeah, uh, yeah, retirement yeah. is a horrific concept. Uh, yeah. But um, yes, uh, you, you you have to tip along with a, okay. with a mixed, either self-sufficient garden or mixed market garden. Mm. You have to be available at least 10 months a year. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you, I take my annual leave around Christmas because that's when mm-hmm. everything goes to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but... Uh, you have to be tipping along. And I, I know in my days when I was at college doing horticulture, uh, a couple of other people doing other things. And I, I had an mm. allotment site, which is something you do mm. in the UK to feed myself. I could just seem natural to do so. And a couple of other people who didn't come from that background had them. Mm-hmm. And they thought they could take weekends off or disappear for a while and come back. Mm. And I explained to them, you can't do that. And their gardens, Mark their allotments were essentially an unproductive mass of weeds, even though they put a fair bit of work in, yeah. it wasn't the steady tip, tip, tip that's needed. Yeah. So if you have yeah. that sort of general market garden type approach, you're tipping at it from, well, I will not now have any chance to take time off between now. I mean, I have, have the old Sunday off and everything, obviously it's not going to work seven days a week, but yeah. I need to be on call at least every other day between now and beginning of September. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, no, it's but, it's good to see the reality of that. It's not it's not a tipping away job. It it is a commitment really to the oh, space, yeah. to well, the you, land, you know, and it's to the garden. Tipping yeah. away is the thing, but yeah. you don't have to do that. As I mentioned, uh, if you go for something speciality like soft fruit, 
mm-hmm. uh, then uh, you could be working really hard for the harvesting season. Once you've got okay. fruit established, soft fruit yeah. established, there's a bit of pruning over the winter or mm. tidying up. Uh, mm-hmm. That can be done, uh, you know, you get three or four months to do that. So that can be done as and when you want. And then you're harvesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're, you're picking fruit for two or three months. Basically, yeah. it all happens in June, July, beginning of August. Uh, so yeah. the the person I mentioned who was doing that, you can do that uh, if mm-hmm. you, uh, you know, intensive for a few months. Or you could have a, a, a tunnel business producing things like um, uh, vegetable transplants beginning of the season mm. um mm. and i mean you don't have to stick to veg bedding plants uh that sort of thing and mm. um you could be really busy for uh from february march april may um on a bench and then you can close your tunnel down and uh yeah, yeah. you know yeah. so uh if you are going to have a, a little bit of this and a little bit of that market garden or self-sufficient garden you work through the summer that's it mm. Uh, yes. if, okay. uh, if you're looking um, to have a business which is a little is in addition to what you do, then you can have an intensive period for a few months. But you have to research mm-hmm. that well and plan it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, it does definitely come down to the research. Um, so imagine that we've harvested our our crop. What about storage? Like, what kind of what kind of space would I need? What kind of things should I consider? Or am I just literally uh, harvesting and selling, and that's it? I would suggest, actually, if you're small scale, you're harvesting and selling. Yeah. Um, uh, If you're, well, the crops are store, potatoes, parsnips, carrots, Mm. beets, or whatever, they are really crops for fields complete with machinery. And I think the sort of person Mm. mentioned who might be a farmer plowing a couple of acres up and you got some machinery, and absolutely, Mm. uh, you know, grow a crop of beets or carrots and Mm. Carrots are slightly harder, actually, with carrot fly, but beets, potatoes, and you can store those uh, up to Christmas in a shed. Okay. And you need okay. still proper storage after that. But if you want to make money out of a market garden, uh, one of your selling points, as I mentioned earlier, is your freshness. Yes. So yeah. your fruit has still got a bloom on it. Uh, your leaves mm. are still crisp. Mm. Uh, your yeah. cucumbers are, you know, firm. Uh, yeah. All of those, um, you can sell, we used to sell to restaurants, can't you? Um, yeah. They, uh, you want to get those there as quickly as possible. They don't Brilliant. even want to see a fridge. When I had a leaf business, I did not have a fridge. Brilliant. Um, I had an alarm clock. So you can't, <laughs> before things get warm, uh, you know, you're, you're up literally uh, in June, you're up at half full, and okay. everything is harvested in the van. Uh, by eight o'clock and out well, to a restaurant then. And out the door. Uh, as they're serving breakfast, you're bringing your leaves in. Um, yeah. Tomatoes, no. Uh, in fact, those sort of summer, summer summer crops, if you don't like getting up early, you shouldn't harvest those too early because they should have dried out a bit. So then with morning okay. harvesting. Mm. But it's that sort of attention to detail, uh, which you don't need to store and you're selling at prime condition. Mm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um. That's great. That's given us a, re- a really good overview of like the grow- sowing, growing and, and the harvesting. Um, we touched a little bit on financial considerations. Like, do you need to invest a lot of money into the start? What about these ongoing financial costs and will ultimately what you make um, be worth it at the end of the day? What's your thoughts on all of that? Um, a little bit of capital 
is very handy for an intensive business. Mm. Uh, the the people who don't need capital actually, the, the model has said, you know, a farmer who plows an acre up because he has a bit of spare machinery, mm. uh, then uh, they w actually wouldn't need a capital particularly. Uh, but for yeah. everybody else, if you want to make money out of a small area, I think you're either investing in tunnels, something like a rotivator or small tractor, um, or fruit bushes. Um, mm -hmm. I would see those are the things, uh, you're buying, um, yeah. and, or, or, and or herb plants. I mean, a herb yes. nursery, uh, that's a handy little small, uh, business as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so you, you need to get, I mean, not massive amounts, not sort of thing for a to bank manager, but, um, for instance, uh, a tunnel for which you could turn, turn over three or 4,000 will cost you three or 4,000. And a rotivator, you can buy them secondhand, and I have done, mm -hmm. but it's not one of my skills, really, mending machines. So thankfully, my, my son, who's now at college doing engineering, developed the skills. So, uh, okay. uh, but I'm, I'm pretty hopeless with machinery, unfortunately. Um, so secondhand ones, uh, you're often kicking at the side of a field trying to work out what's going on. Well, I am anyway. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> buying nearly new is a really good idea because often they've been hammered uh, sure. by a secondhand rotator of myself. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, a little bit of machinery can be very handy. Uh, but the primary input you're putting in is labor. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, that uh, if you're paying for labor, then it, it's quite hard to make much of a profit mm. unless you're the next scale up, which is how you do make a very good living is employing people and, um, you know, creating a bit of extra than their labor costs, but, mm. uh, for your own purposes, um, it's your own labor going in and to mm. make that worthwhile, uh, you have to have good organization and the right crops. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you, if you're badly organized. You might go in, which I've seen with people, prepare a field, uh, get a load of stuff drilled. They haven't worked out the time needed for mm -hmm. hoeing and management and the whole mm -hmm. crop goes under weeds and they don't mm -hmm. hardly harvest anything. They've yeah. still spent all those hours or, you know, got a contractor in to plow it or whatever, and that's cost them yeah. money. So in fact, my neighbor did that. Um, <laughs> we plowed a, a half acre, put it down to crops and lost the okay. whole lot. Oh, good. Um, so, uh, uh, organization is key and a little it just shows how, how important that research and organization actually Absolutely. is, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it'd be a shame to, to lose everything. Is there a best time of year to start all of this? Yeah. The traditional time that farms change hand, which is Michaelmas, which is the end of October. Okay. Uh, that gives you a chance to get ready for next spring. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. to get ground prepared, get market sorted and so on. Uh, so don't make it, uh, in fact, now is a very bad time of year, um, to start, uh, unless you're planning to start for next winter with a tunnel or something. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. because, uh, like I've got my ground ready now for sowing. I've got a glass house full of seedlings growing to plant out yes. uh, mm -hmm. and I have a plan for the whole year. Uh, yeah. so if I'm starting now, uh, you forget it really in terms of yeah. worthwhile production. Yeah, you so, need the uh, head start of that. Uh, certainly aim to know what you're doing by the late autumn mm -hmm. and have a plan in place by uh, the end of the year and put it into place at the beginning of the next year. You know, it's, it's the answer. Yeah. Um, 
I, I guess my, my main feeling on it is join up with, with somebody else to do a season or, or a period of time, a full season, ideally with someone else, um, to get probably the invaluable experience of that. And that's something that we've gotten in this podcast in almost every episode that we've done with, with growers, but also with other people in food production is that it's incredible how much help you'll get from other people. Mm. There is no competition. It's, it's cooperation, not competition. And, um, anybody would accept you in to lend an extra pair of hands into whatever it is that they're doing. And that's probably the best way to kind of learn. Richard, thank you so much. That was, uh, super in depth and really, really interesting. Yeah, that was really, really good for me too. Um, Richard, I have one final question for you. What's the most exciting thing about growing food for you? Um, there's two, uh, stages. I think when things first emerge, I think, God, it's happened again, uh, that popped up. <laughs> and uh, I, I think I'm as excited as I was 50 years ago when I first saw these things happening. Um, maybe I'm a simple fella, but uh, that's the marvel of that. And then there's the other end when you uh, produce a perfect crop. Yeah. Um, and um, there's, in my view, nothing more satisfying at all than that. And I suppose there's one period in, the, in between as well. It's usually around the end of May, you're looking out over a fully planted garden and it all looks perfect. Um, yeah. Uh, before the pests and diseases take their inevitable toll and you lose some of it is an organic grower like I am. Um, uh, but uh, just briefly at that moment, uh, that sort of time of the season, you think, God, uh, that looks fantastic. So it's, it's yeah. very, very satisfying. But I think there's no... There's moments which you can't really put into words, I think, as you are growing, um, when things just seem right, uh, mm. when uh, there's a, uh, a warm feeling of uh, satisfaction that it could be a small thing, like a seed tree looks great, plants are vigorous and healthy, uh, or it could be you've just gone out weeding first thing in the morning and birds are singing and uh, suddenly that bed looks good. So there's all those things, really. I mean, I... Yeah. Um, I never tire of it and never will, um, mm. and I never stop learning, uh, which I think is crucial. I mean, I could have probably earned an awful lot more if I'd become an accountant, but uh, <laughs> I don't think I'd have got the same job satisfaction somehow. Well, I don't know, yeah. maybe they can look at a balance sheet as well prepared. And like, <laughs> well, such for courses, I suppose. <laughs> it sounds to me anyway, the reward from growing is immense. Mm, I think yeah. so. Yeah, thank you. Um, if I want to do a course with you in DIY, how do I go about doing it? Uh, access the website and um on the website you'll see all the materials we have uh mm -hmm. basic how to grow guys for different vegetables there's videos of various uh things and um uh, in terms of courses you'll you'll see a, a section on the website for courses and uh uh there's um various online tutorials you can have and you can come and visit on various um uh, day events and so on, uh, myself. And, Michael, and would you be the man teaching then? Sorry? Are you the man then to teach me when I turn up? Well, uh, Michael Kelly, our dear leader, um, who's the CEO and founder of uh, GIY. Um, he, he does d uh, days as well. Uh, and, um, I've done various things online and I have a course for teachers, which is probably a very small part of your listenership at the moment. Uh, but I do, uh, there's a, far, a garden walk once a week through the summer, 
yeah. uh, which is very loosely based on well, me telling you what's happening in the garden. And yeah. there's always, uh, every so often people turn up who are looking at the possibility of um, going and having a commercial market garden and they, they just chat away asking questions. We have a coffee afterwards. So Lovely. Uh, if, if you want a significant part of my time to chat about these things, then <laughs> sign up for that. That walk, and then you get a, a coffee and a chat as part of yeah. the, uh, the garden walk. Richard, thank you so much. Thank you for your time, Richard. Hopefully, the rain. Me. Hopefully, the rain will only last a day. Oh, I've got plenty to do on the computer, unfortunately, and in the tunnels. So <laughs> you got to do your books. <laughs> thank you, Richard. That was fascinating, really insightful, and I certainly learned a lot. Yeah, really nice to chat to Richard. It's great to go down to Grow HQ actually, and as mm-hmm. he said, to book in to see it because it's a very new, like it's a really cool facility. Yeah, it is cool. And they do really good courses and they have a great website, giy.ie. You can check them out there if you need any more information. Yeah, and to follow up this podcast next week, we are going to be chatting to Eric Johansson from Cuskinny Court. And Eric actually went ahead and did this. So we're going to find yeah. out his experience with starting a market garden literally from scratch. So that is going to be an interesting conversation. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week. Bye.